You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Final day of the first half of the Major League Baseball season. Your calls as well at 1-800-919-3776 as we look ahead to the second half of the season. Uh, Right now, as things stand in Major League Baseball, the six playoff teams would be, well, the three division leaders, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, and Texas, and then the three teams occupying the wild card spots right now, Baltimore, Houston, and then the Yankees and the Blue Jays are in a flat-footed tie for the third and final wild card spot in the American League. I haven't dug too deeply into the tiebreakers between those two teams. If it becomes an issue uh, in late September, you can count on me doing just that. In the National League, you would have the Braves in the playoffs, the Reds in the playoffs, and the Arizona Diamondbacks in the playoffs. So a lot of surprises in the National League as we hit the Midsummer Classic with the three wild card teams being the Dodgers, the Marlins, and the Philadelphia Phillies. Mets are six and a half games behind the Phillies. Uh, they're catchable. In my opinion, even more catchable, the Miami Marlins. But they're nine games ahead of the Mets. Marlins, though, with a minus nine run differential, despite being 13 games above 500. That would suggest mathematically a regression record-wise for the Marlins. But mathematics aren't always 100% accurate. The fact of the matter is the Yankees and especially the Mets just have to put their heads down and keep winning baseball games from here to the end of the season because the Yankees got a lot of teams they're in the mix against. Yes, they're tied with the Blue Jays for that third wild card spot. The Red Sox are two games behind them. The Twins and the Mariners are each four games behind them, and the Angels are four and a half games behind them. So it's very crowded in that wild card race for the Yankees. They're, by the way, only one game behind the Houston Astros, but I don't know if anybody expects the Astros not to be there, at least as a wild card team, when the playoffs begin. All right, 1-800-919-3776. Let's open up the phone lines here in this 11 o'clock hour and welcome in Jose in Brooklyn. Jose, how's it going today? Good after, oh, well, good morning, Mr. O'Keefe. It's about to be the afternoon. Close and enough. I just good morning. Wanted, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to talk because every time, you know, you're on or Alan or Larry, guys who actually cover the Knicks and watch the games, I definitely like to get your guys' perspectives. Cause, uh, and especially with this NBA play or this tournament thing, I'm actually ecstatic about it. I think, you know, this is kind of the way to go with how, you know, to generate interest. Because when you see, like, you know, how soccer rolls around where half the team, where half of the table teams are kind of knocked out of contention within the first couple weeks and they're not able to compete with the big money players, you see, like, the FA Cup, the Copa del Rey, and, you know, the, um, the and these other cup, cup, cup tournaments actually do generate interest and money and, you know, does add a little prestige to those to to those teams that, and you know, like, uh, and I keep thinking about that that bubble series where you know the Phoenix Suns, who were supposed to be dead and out of it, they, people were wondering why are they even making it, and they went on a streak where people actually felt like the Port- Portland Trailblazers should not be in the is in the eighth seed. It should actually be the Phoenix Suns, which is why we had the birth of the play-in. So I think this is just more ways to keep this interesting, keep it going, and keep, you know, the NBA talking because we all know football does dominate that early schedule until until um, Christmas time rolls around. I think it will work in specific markets. I think it will work in the markets where 
the teams actually have a chance to advance to the knockout round or win this thing. Now, is it going to be a huge deal for Warriors fans, Jose, that have won four championships in the last decade or, you know, Denver Nuggets fans coming off of what they just won? I don't know, but, you know, there's plenty of teams, Jose, that have not won anything in the NBA in a very exactly. long time. No, exactly. And that's kind of the point that I wanted to make. I know, you know, because we're, we're, we're so stuck up in, and it's kind of like a North American culture is what I call it ever since I started immersing myself into the soccer sport. And we're kind of so stuck up on the playoffs being the end-all, be-all. How dare we try to create another trophy because we still laugh at the Senator's Cup, what is it, the President's Trophy for Hockey and, you know, all these other, you know, or the Community Shield and MLS, where it it is part of, you know, the tradition of celebrating excellence throughout the season. So this is something that I'm very looking forward to it. And my last point with the Nick point, because I've been hearing this way too long, and I get it, Julius Randle is who he is. And he's a great player. He's a guy that averages 24 and 10 and um, 24 and 10 and four. But my issue is, is when it comes to playoff time, this this pass that he's getting, oh, well, this is who he is in the playoffs. It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable when we're losing like the, the Hawk game, like two of those Hawk games were decided under less than eight points. And then when you look at Julius Randle's average, you're kind of seeing where those points are missing from. So we got two games with the Atlanta Hawks and then all of the games with the Miami Heat were within, you know, four or five points. And yet the person who keeps showing up the least is the person that we're saying, oh, well, we have to just, you know, be happy with the production that he does during the regular season. But meanwhile, other players like R.J. Barrett, who actually did step up in the playoffs, or other players like, you know, I remember Alex Burke and Reggie Bullock, they got the blame, so they got shifted out, and then we ended up, you know, getting Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker for them, and that ended up being horrific from a defensive standpoint. So I'm just a little, like, I'm just a little concerned with the pass that Julius Randle keeps continuing to get, when at the end of the day, if he's going to be the one demanding the ball as the number one option, he needs to elevate his game game to that next level. If he can't do that, then uh, the, the thing that I implore him to do is to kind of be big brother and actually let Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett and and Quentin Grimes grow within that offense because if he can't be the guy to take us there, then he actually needs to be okay with being the number three spot, even if it means sacrificing all NBA and some of those numbers. That's just my point. Thank you for your time, Mr. O'Keefe, and shout out to the company. Thanks, as always, for the call, Jose. A couple of good points there. All right, number one, um, I don't think Julius Randle gets a pass at all. I I think Knicks fans – say yes that's who he is but I don't think they say it in terms of giving him a pass I think they say it in frustration uh Julius Randle by by the end of last season now he started last year um obviously as the number one option he was also coming off of a very difficult previous season in New York he was feuding with the fans he had to address that Uh, He had to issue an apology. His production had dipped from the year before. It was a tough year for Julius, and it was a tough year for the entire team. Last year, he got into better shape. Uh, He had a better attitude and mindset at the beginning of the season. He was more willing to share the ball than he had been the previous year. You could see it from the very beginning. But he was also the number one option on the team. 
And he should have been at the beginning of last year. I know the Knicks signed Jalen Brunson to that contract, but at the beginning of last season, we didn't know what Jalen Brunson was. We didn't know. We we knew he was good. You know, we knew he was the starting point guard, and there was hope that he would raise the Knicks to another level. I don't think anybody knew Brunson was going to be as good as he was, like 40 points in a closeout loss, but a elimination playoff game in the second round of the NBA playoffs. Nobody realized that. So the one big development that happened by the end of the season, and part of this was injury-related, because Randall was not 100% in the Miami series. But he also does have the history of not performing as well in the playoffs as he does in the regular season. He's not the only one in the history of sports like that. There's a lot of star players in the history of sports who have been like that. And unfortunately, Randall seems to be one of those guys. And it happened again in the series against the Heat. And I will put part of the blame for that on the ankle that he sprained multiple times towards the tail end of the season and ultimately had to have surgery on in the offseason. But I guess the one thing that came out of the end of that Heat series, when the Knicks walked off the floor in Miami after Game 6, there was absolutely no question who the number one option on the Knicks was going forward. And I think even up until, you know, the playoffs began, most astute observers of this team knew it should be Brunson and knew it had to eventually be Brunson. But Randall last year continued to make a compelling case. He was the guy on the team who was the all-star for the second time. He was the guy on the team who was named All-NBA. He was All-NBA third team last year. It was his second time being named All-NBA. It was a weird situation. Randall got the individual accolades, and they were well-deserved. But Jalen Brunson, if you ask anybody who watched that team, as I do every single game, would tell you that Brunson was the most important player on that team. But Randall made a really compelling case because of his individual awards. Now, why did he get those individual awards and not Brunson? Well, that will likely change going forward. The reason being, up until last year, it was done by position. So Randall was just competing with forwards for the all-star spot or front court players for the all-star spot, and he was competing with forwards for the all-NBA spot. Brunson, in both cases, was competing against guards, and there are more top-level guards in the NBA than there are forwards. I mean, think about the guards. There's three all-NBA teams. You know, you've got Curry, you've got Luka Doncic, you've got Devin Booker, you've got Damian Lillard. Um, I don't even know who was on the all-NBA third teams last year, but that's a pretty good place to start. And Brunson was probably the first or the second omission. But just as far as being the number one option on the team, by the end of the year, I think it was clear in everyone's mind, and if it wasn't clear in Julius Randle's mind, I would, I would question his thinking. But I think it became clear in everyone's mind that Jalen Brunson was the number one option. Now, on this specific team, the last caller, Jose, who I know is a, a good Knicks fan, and he's a good caller, suggesting Randle should take a backseat to Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett. I can't get on board with that. You can't discount um, Randall's production during the regular season. You just can't. As I've said many, many times, what he gives you, 24 points, 10 rebounds, 
four and a half assists a game. That kind of production doesn't grow on trees. It does not. So you can't just discount that because his numbers go down in the postseason. In a perfect world, they wouldn't go down in the postseason. But unfortunately, as we get more and more evidence on who Julius Randle is, you've got to accept the good with the bad. And the good is what he does during the regular season. And the bad or the not so good is that he's not as good when the pressure ratchets up in the postseason. And again, that's not unique to Julius Randle. That has happened to other stars throughout NBA history. It has happened to other stars throughout the history of sports. The way the Knicks get better going forward is upgrading that number two spot in the pecking order. Number one being Jalen Brunson. Number two being Julius Randle. Now, the best scenario is to make Brunson your number two spot and bring in somebody better than him. You know, the first name that comes to mind to me would be Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP. Could he become available at some point? He could, and Embiid has his own sorts of questions. He's not exactly a guy who has elevated his play in the postseason. Um, He always seems to break down physically when he gets to the postseason, and that's been a part of it. But he's also starting at such a high level of production. I mean, I know Randall's had some terrific regular seasons, but we're talking about a guy in Joel Embiid who is the MVP of the league and for the last three years has either been the MVP or the runner-up for the league's most valuable player. So we're talking about a high, high level of production. So even if he regresses a little bit, it's still better than anything the Knicks have. But the way forward for the Knicks to really become a contender in this league And I know they were close to reaching the conference finals last year, but don't let that be fool's gold because I can name three or four teams of recent vintage that made a cameo in their conference finals and then completely fell backwards thereafter. One of them is the Portland Trailblazers in 2019. They reached the conference finals because that year, the powerhouse Rockets, who still had James Harden and Chris Paul, played against the Warriors in the conference semifinals. They happened to be matched up on the same side of the bracket. They were the best two teams in the Western Conference. The Warriors won that series. On the other side of the bracket, the Trailblazers beat the Nuggets to advance to the Conference Finals, and then they got swept in a non-competitive Conference Finals. That was 2019. That was the last year of Kevin Durant in Golden State. Another example is the Hawks of 2021. The Hawks team that had their way with the Knicks in the first round, and then they went on to take on the 76ers, who were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and that was when Ben Simmons had his meltdown in Game 7. And the Hawks stole Game 7 in Philadelphia. And next thing you know, they found themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals. And they haven't sniffed that level of success ever since. Just like the Trailblazers with Damian Lillard. And this is why he wants to be traded. Just like they haven't sniffed that level of success since they went to the Western Conference Finals in 2019. And the third example is the Dallas Mavericks of two years ago. The Mavericks had that second round series against the Suns. Where they came back from two games to nothing down. The Suns had the best record in the NBA. It went to a Game 7 in Phoenix, and it was a meltdown for the Suns of epic proportions. The Mavericks won Game 7 on the road. They advanced to the conference finals to take on, again, the Warriors. They lost in a gentleman's sweep that wasn't overly competitive. This past year, did they build on that success? No. They didn't even make it into the play-in tournament. So... That's my caution to Knicks fans. Don't look at this year's Knicks team and say, hey, these guys were 
two wins away from reaching the conference finals, so the upward trajectory stays intact. A lot of times, a run to the conference finals or a near run to the conference finals can be seen as fool's gold. And the best way through for the Knicks to break through that threshold and be a conference finalist team, or dare I say a team in the NBA finals, is to improve the number two spot in their rotation. Ideally, with Jalen Brunson as your number two guy and somebody above him, or worst case scenario, somebody better than Julius Randle has been in the postseason in that number two spot. A Pascal Siakam, for example. But he's not going to come cheap. That's the way forward for the Knicks. The Knicks, have they improved their team since last year? Yes. I think considering the way Obi Toppin was utilized and considering what they can get from Dante DiVincenzo, if they go into the upcoming season with this as their nine-man rotation, basically running it back what they had last year, with DiVincenzo replacing top and spot in the nine-man rotation, I do think that they're better. But better to the point where they're going to break through and be a conference finalist team or, dare I say, an NBA finals team? No, they're still a ways off from that. And again, the way through is to improve the number two spot in their pecking order. You know, DiVincenzo for Toppin, that improved their number nine spot in the rotation. It's an improvement, yes, but you don't reach the next level in the NBA by upgrading the ninth man in your rotation. You reach the next level in the NBA by upgrading your top guy or your number two guy and moving forward from there. And they're, they're waiting. You know the word that guys like Brian Windhorst and uh, others use to describe Leon Rose is patient. And there's no other way to describe it. Has it been a detriment to the organization? I don't think it has been because the Knicks right now are better than they were the day Leon Rose took over the team. Is it moving too slowly for Knicks fans? Yeah, it is. I hear your calls and I hear the impatience. And especially when you get to the level they got to this year, you got a taste of it. You know, you may have been inside the garden for those playoff games against the Cavs or the Heat, or you may have been listening to us here on 98.7 or watching on MSG. And it brought you back to 25 years ago when that was standard operating procedure in New York City during the spring. You got a taste of it, and now you want to accelerate the process. It's just not that easy once you get to this level to accelerate that process to where you want to get to next. So right now, I unfortunately, some Knicks fans aren't going to agree with me, but I do think that the patience being exhibited by Leon Rose and Knicks management is prudent. And we'll see how they act if and when there is an opportunity to improve the top of the rotation, not necessarily the back end of the rotation. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you, 98.7 ESPN New York. Got about 40 minutes or so before I hand things over to Larry. 1-800-919-3776. Final baseball day before the All-Star break. That, the Knicks, the NBA, and plenty more here on 98.7. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. 135 first pitch against the Cubs from the stadium. Yanks looking for the series victory heading into the all-star break. Torres, Stanton, Rizzo, Bader, Donaldson as the DH, and McKinney 
Lemayhu, Volpe, and Higashioka with Domingo Herman on the mound against Kyle Hendricks of the Chicago Cubs. Yanks uh, were two hit and shut out in the opener on Friday night. And then yesterday bounced back a couple of home runs by Stanton, a home run by Josh Donaldson, another strong pitching performance by Garrett Cole, and they won 6-3. to three. Later this afternoon at 4-10, the rubber match of the Mets and the Padres from San Diego in a very good pitching matchup. Max Scherzer, who has been much better against Joe Musgrove, who's had another strong season for San Diego. The Mets and the Padres with identical 42 and 47 records. 1-800-919-3776. Let's open the phone lines again and go to Mitch in East Windsor. Hey, Mitch. How's it going, Pat? Uh, thanks for taking my call. No problem. Uh, I wonder, I'm being I'm a Dodger fan, I wonder if um, Yankees would, uh, I mean, the Dodgers go after uh, Stan. I know he's got a lot of money. I still think he's got quite a bit left. So good. He's from L.A. And would you say, I mean, I was seeing, you know, I mean, like Judge, I want to see Judge break his record, but now that he's out, he's going to miss some time. And Otani's only going to be out pitching-wise with that blister for a few starts. Uh, I think he's got that MVP locked up. And who do you think Otani signs with next year? Well, that's a good question, Mitch. I, I think it's uh, to, to answer your question, both of your questions at the same time. I, I don't see the Dodgers trading for Stanton. I don't see anybody trading for Stanton right now. You know, he could still be a productive player, but not for the money that you would have to pay him. And I think the Dodgers are a clear favorite to sign Shohei Otani. This past offseason, they were uncharacteristically. Uh, silent on the free agent market, which has not been their want in recent years. But you look at Stanton's contract. I mean, he's making $32 million this year, and again next year, and again the year be- after that. And then in 2026, he's making $29 million. And then in 2027, he's making $25 million. So including this year, one, two, three, four, five. That's five more years of about a hundred, close to $150 million. I mean, think about it this way. If Stanton came on the market right now as a free agent at 33 years of age, would you sign him for a five-year contract worth $30 million a year? The guy's hitting barely above 200, and since the start of the 2019 season, he has played 330 games. The answer to that is a resounding no. So I don't see the Dodgers trading for him because then you tie up a lot of money on your payroll for the next half decade, and that's not how Andrew Friedman does things. He does things for guys like Freddie Freeman who are in the prime of their careers or Mookie Betts who are in the prime of their careers, but not for a guy like Giancarlo Stanton who I think anybody would agree is on the downslope of his career. The the one saving grace from the Stanton contract – and I have it up in front of me, when he's 38 years old, and this is a long way uh, in the future, 2028, um, he'll be 38 years old. The last year of his massive contract is actually a club option. So I I would imagine that the Yankees are not going to pick that up when he's 38 years old. I mean, if at 38 years old, the Yankees still feel it's worthwhile to pay Giancarlo Stanton $25 million, I think they'd be thrilled because that would probably mean that he had turned things around and was very productive for them in pinstripes over the next five years. And yeah, where do I see Otani going next year? If you ask me right now, I would say Los Angeles. I know that 
the Mets have the deepest pockets. The Mets owner has the deepest pockets. But when Otani came to this country, what was it, four years ago, the first time, he ruled out pretty much any team east of the Mississippi River. He wanted to be on the West Coast, and he wanted to be, you know, that's geographically closer to his native Japan. Now, has that changed? I don't know. I haven't spoken with him, but there's a good chance that he still feels the same way. He's lived in Southern California for the last five years. He knows what it's all about. A quick drive up the freeway to Los Angeles proper and the Dodgers would make a lot of sense for a team that, while not having as deep pockets as the Mets, um, have historically had deep pockets. Unless Steve Cohen makes him, you know, the godfather offer. But then that gets tricky, too. You know, because at some point, at some point, he can be overpaid. I know he's a freak, Otani, and doing things that we thought were impossible five years ago. It's incredibly impressive. But if you pay him $60 million a year or $50 million a year, that ties things up an awful lot. And then you also have to look at the fact that as great as he has been, he hasn't been in the playoffs. His best moment since we've known him has come in the World Baseball Classic. Let's go to Steve in Chappaqua. Steve, how you doing on this Sunday morning? Pat, I just can't tell you. Uh, I haven't heard you host that many shows, and I'm so impressed. So many of the hosts are, you know, hysterical. You have so much knowledge, and uh, your demeanor is, like, amazing. You're like a, he's like a good guy. Could you tell us a little bit about your journalistic uh, journey, how you got to this point? Tell us a little bit about your background. I can I can give you the abridged version, and I appreciate the kind words. That's very nice of you to say, Steve. Uh, the abridged version, I grew up in New York, uh, and I went to college at SUNY Brockport, and I worked for a couple of years in Billings, Montana, and I worked for a couple of years in Anchorage, Alaska on local TV stations, and I came back to New York in 2007 and have been on News 12 The Bronx and News 12 Brooklyn ever since then, and in 2015, I started working as a member of the Knicks radio broadcast, uh, have been with them ever since, and that has spun into a great role here on ESPN New York. Hopefully, and I do appreciate the caller's nice words and his interest in my career and my journey. Hopefully that didn't uh, take up too much time for everybody else listening and wanting to talk about sports. Uh, let's go to Emmanuel in Flushing. Emmanuel, how you doing, man? Hey, man, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Uh, listen, uh, the last caller from the, from the Knicks perspective um, I, I, about Julius Randle, I was a little bit just, I didn't like what he said because it feels like you're not taking Julius Randle for granted. Look, I'm not I'm not a huge Julius Randle fan, but I appreciate the fact that he's given his all at times. And yes, he's not perfect in the postseason. And but because I'm going to ask that caller who that previous caller from the from a Nick perspective, uh, what's his name again? Carlos White. Was I believe it, it was Jose in Brooklyn. You're referring Jose. to Jose. He's a, he's a frequent Brooklyn. caller and a big Knicks fan. Yes, I'm going to ask Jose this. If not for Julius, if, if Julius Randle wasn't the Knicks from those last four years, would we be in the playoffs two of the last three and won a playoff game? I mean, no. Julius Randle has, Julius Randle, like it or not, has been our most consistent all-star since Melo. And, 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 and the reason why the Knicks player want to play for the Knicks is it's not just Jalen Brunson. It's Julius Randle because I just saw him um, on the Paul George podcast a week ago and the Knicks, he basically said the Knicks are not far off from, from winning the championship. 
And yes, if if, if this season, I mean, I'm not sure. Yes, the Knicks are improved, but not good enough to beat the Milwaukee's, the Boston, and the Philly, regardless of what they're going to do against Harden and then, of course, Miami. I mean, they're not far off, as people think they are. But hopefully next year, when we get that big piece, we can finally just say, hey, the Knicks are fully contained. Because something that we, hadn't, we have not said that since the, day, since the, last, the last days of viewing. Emmanuel, I agree with a lot of what you said. Thank you for the call. Um, I have some thoughts in a response to your points on Julius Randle because, like I said, I agree with a lot of them. Let me do this. We'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, the, look, the Randle legacy in New York, and we're now four years into this tenure, it is highly, highly complicated. And it's becoming one of the more complicated, you know, sports legacies of the last two decades here in New York. So, I'll respond to you on the other side. More of your calls as well. 1-800-919-3776 here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. In regards to Julius Randle. And in so many ways, you know, Julius Randle is this generation's Carmelo Anthony. Now, in the grand scheme of the NBA, he's you know not on Carmelo's level. Carmelo's one of the top 10 scorers in NBA history. Uh, Carmelo Anthony will be a basketball Hall of Famer when he is eligible. Um, you know, Randall likely will not, although you never know, because he has performed at an all-NBA level two of the last three years, which our caller pointed out. Randall's um, tenure here in New York is, is just, it's extremely complex because... At the same, many, many things of Julius Randle are true because to echo our caller's point, right? The Knicks, who have made the playoffs two of the last three years, and he asked a simple question Do the Knicks make the playoffs two of the last three years without Julius Randle? And the answer is a clear and definitive no. You know, Randle is here at a time when Jalen Brunson is being lauded as one of the greatest free agent signings in the history of the Knicks franchise after just one year. And there were columns written about this during the second half of last season when Brunson and the Knicks really stepped up to a a different level. And all of that is true. But the ironic thing about that is, at the same time, Brunson's teammate in New York, Julius Randle, no matter how you slice it, if you look at the production he has had in his four years in New York and the fact that in 2019 he also signed as a free agent, there's no way to say other than Randall is also one of the greatest free agent signings in the history of the Knicks franchise. I mean, think about it. He signed in 2019 as a quote-unquote, consolation prize. That's how he was viewed when he signed. He was the Knicks' big acquisition in the offseason of 2019. If you think back to that time four years ago, that was the summer where Kawhi Leonard went from Toronto to the Clippers as a free agent after the Clippers had swung the blockbuster trade for Paul George. And more notable here in New York, that was the summer when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went to the Brooklyn Nets as free agents when those were the two guys the Knicks wanted to bring in and the Knicks had the same available cap room to bring them in. And then they went to Brooklyn, 
because the Nets had stronger infrastructure at the time. The Nets were a 42 and 40 team and had just gone to the playoffs. The Knicks were a 17 and 65 win team. And those guys just didn't want to come here and be part of a team that had no recent history of success. And it was a huge, huge setback for the Knicks organization. But let's see how those things have played out. All right, just in terms of on-court production, since that infamous day, it was my birthday. It was actually my 40th birthday that went down. June 29th, 2019, the day that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant decided they were coming to Brooklyn instead of Madison Square Garden. So I remember it well. And since that day, now the highs of Kevin Durant and even Kyrie Irving on the court have certainly been higher than anything that Julius Randle has produced. The lows of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were certainly lower than anything that Julius Randle has produced. And let's just look at the totality of their production over those four years. I don't think there's any question, any question that Julius Randle from the summer of 2019 was far more productive for the Knicks than either Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant were for the Brooklyn Nets. There's no question about it. But that was the first taste that Knicks fans had in their mouths, right? The franchise wasn't in position. They, I think, misread the market. They thought that we've got cap space, we're in New York, and we play at Madison Square Garden, so these guys are going to want to come and play for us. And what they didn't factor in was they needed to be a better team at the time because the Nets, even though it's not Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center is certainly not Madison Square Garden, and the Brooklyn Nets franchise is certainly not the New York Knicks franchise, but it's in New York. It's still in this market, and they had the same cap space available, and they were 42-40 and 40 and had just lost a feisty first-round series to the Philadelphia 76ers. So the Knicks thought that they had done enough, they hadn't done enough, and Randall caught the brunt of that. And then to make matters worse, coming off that 17-65 and 65 season, David Fisdale was still the head coach, and the Knicks started 4-18 and 18 before they finally put him and Knicks fans out of their misery and fired him and let Mike Miller competently coach the team for the remainder of the season as the interim head coach. And... Randall, though, through that first year, because the team was still losing, he was the face of the quote-unquote failed offseason of not getting those two big stars. And he bore a lot of the brunt, and it had absolutely nothing to do with him. All he did was sign a contract that they put in front of him and came every day and played hard. Played smart all the time? No. But then Tom Thibodeau came in. He was coached better. He became an all-NBA player. He became an all-star. He took a step back his third year in New York. And then his fourth year, in, fourth year in New York with a co-star at point guard in Jalen Brunson, he had probably his best season in New York. That's the good of Randall. The bad is this. I've said it before. I said it 45 minutes ago. If the Knicks are going to take the next step, they need somebody better than Julius Randall in that spot. There's just no other way to say it. You know, Randall has gotten the Knicks farther than anybody got them since Carmelo Anthony in a decade, right? If Randall doesn't come to New York and play the way he has played, then the Knicks are not a playoff team two of the last three years. But now the expectations have shifted, all right? There's no question that Jalen Brunson can get you to where you need to go. But there is mounting evidence that you need an upgrade over Julius Randall. So it's very, very complicated. 
because you cannot discount and you should not discount what he does for this team during 82 games in the regular season. But he appears to be one of these guys right now that just doesn't have enough when it comes to the postseason. And that's where the Knicks' focus is right now. we got a couple more minutes before we wrap things up, and we'll do so on the other side on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, one more point on Julius Randle before I hand things off. You know, um, I make the comment or the comparison to, to Buck Showalter all the time, and it's interesting because Buck Showalter was a week ago I was here, and I had more than one call, and I wasn't the only host fielding these types of calls, more than one call that it was Buck Showalter's fault that the Mets were 10 games below 500 and Buck needs to go and they need to change. This is He's a year and a half into his tenure as the Mets manager, and his first year he was the National League Manager of the Year and led them to 101 wins. And 101 win seasons don't happen that often with the Mets franchise. And all of a sudden, year two, Buck had lost it, and I didn't want to hear any of it. Any of it. Uh, I know the Mets were underachieving. Uh, the players who are expected to perform weren't performing. And in the last week, they have started performing, and the team has played better. It is sometimes as simple as that. It was not ever, in my opinion, a thought that Buck Showalter had forgotten how to manage. He's been a great manager his entire career. Uh, Has he had a couple of spotty moments with his handling of the bullpen this season? Yes, I'll grant you that. I'll also say that he doesn't exactly have the strongest bullpen at his disposal. But I've long made this comparison about Buck Showalter. He's a terrific manager, uh, one of my favorite managers. And when I'm covering his press conferences, I make this comment often. I could listen to that guy talk baseball all day. I just think he's got such a brilliant baseball mind, and he's had a tremendous managerial career. But Buck Showalter has never led a team to the World Series. Now, over and over again throughout his career, he has taken a franchise that was on the downswing and made them a contender, made them a playoff team. It started with his first managerial job with the Yankees. And then he took an expansion franchise with Arizona. He did it there. He took over a Rangers team that was on the down and outs, and he had them playing competent baseball. And then after it looked like he was finished as a manager, he took over the woebegone Baltimore Orioles franchise and brought them to the playoffs a couple of times. And then he did it again last year with the Mets. But he's never been to a World Series. Why? Well, if it happens enough, and it happened last year when I think a lot of people in this town thought the Mets were ticketed to the World Series, except they got swept by the Braves the last weekend of the regular season and they lost the division and they had to go through the wild card and they lost there and just like that it was over. Buck Showalter, until proven otherwise, until he proves otherwise, seems to be one of those guys who is a highly successful manager but he seems to, as his track record indicates, only be able to take you so far. Now, does that mean that he's been a terrific manager? Yeah. Does that mean he's been a manager of the year multiple times and in multiple leagues? Yeah, but not everyone is destined to be Joe Torre or Bruce Bochy, multiple-time World Series championship-winning managers. Some guys are just really, really good managers who, for one reason or another, can't get you all the way to the finish line. And Julius Randle's tenure in New York has a little bit of that in it, a little bit of that feel. You know, our, our caller... 20 minutes ago, Emmanuel illustrated it very well, I thought. If Julius Randle never comes to New York, do the Knicks make the playoffs two of the last three years? Probably not. 
I think Tom Thibodeau had a bigger hand in that because it was Tibbs and his coaching that helped turn Julius Randle's career around. But that doesn't mean that you can discount what Randle does, all of the good attributes of Julius Randle and what he has brought to this city. Toughness, production. Uh, he has heart. He plays every single game unless he's severely hurt and requires surgery. And even then, he busts his butt to get back and play the big games for his team. And for all of those things, he should be lauded. Is he a guy who can only seem to take you so far and maybe not all the way? It appears that he might be. Does that mean his career's a failure and he's not a good player? Absolutely not. But not everybody is meant to be LeBron James or Stephen Curry or even Draymond Green. So appreciate Julius Randle for what he's done so far for this franchise. But keep your eye on how the Knicks can improve and break through the barrier that they are up against right now because they are closer right now than they have been at any point in the last decade. Larry Hardesty up next. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining.